Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Well, how y'all doing? Good, good. Do you know what the difference between in-laws and outlaws is? Outlaws are wanted. I had to do that one today because uh, we're talking about extended family. And then I had to do this one because I liked it. So I was at a, a place the other day and the sign said, employees must wash hands. So I stood at the stink sink for five minutes and no employee at the stink. At the sink for five minutes and no employee showed up. So I finally washed my own hands. So, so gross. So gross. Yeah, well, you know, it's me. What can you say? So, um, do, do, do y'all ever have family get-togethers? We're talking about extended family, family get-together. You know how it is? You get together with family, and there's that one, like, crazy uncle or crazy aunt that they've got to, like, pick a fight every single time you get together. They're always talking about politics and uh, it, whatever the conspiracy theory of the day is. They're, like, there. Do y'all, know, do y'all know what I'm talking about? If not, you know the joke, right? If not, it might be you. So anyway, uh, there's always the one that's a little nut. And then there's always the one that they're sitting in the corner. And the one that's sitting in the corner, nobody, you know, they, they don't ever talk. They don't ever interact. You're glad they're there. You say hi to them. They're like, hi. And, you know, uh, and what we want to do is we want to say that both parties are important. Both peoples are important. And what we do sometimes in the world is... We uh, ignore people on the fringes, but I think we need to create some healthy boundaries for interaction with people on the fringes of this world. And that's what we want to talk about with you today is how to include people maybe that are not the healthiest. Either way, you know, either too much or too little or whatever it is. So boundaries are a way we create healthy space for interaction, and they're meant to keep keep unhealthy actions out, but safe interactions in. So we have a house that, uh, that when, you know, when you move in and you're like, oh, we'll get to that or we'll do that project. Well, one of our projects that we always wanted to do was have a fence. Well, but we didn't need it originally because no. the field behind us was open. It was, it was a awesome. Field. And now there's 20 feet, literally, because between we're on a side house. lot yeah. between our house and the house behind. So we didn't need that fence, but you know, time went on, marched on, and they built a house. And in that house were three vicious dogs. And those vicious dogs would come out in their yard. And um, we had a swing set that was literally probably 10 feet from the boundary. And my youngest loves to read. And she was younger at the time. And she would go out on the swing set and she would read. And she loved to do that in the afternoon. And uh, she was little. So those three dogs would just bark and bark and growl and snarl at her, her so much so that she couldn't enjoy it. So they, the neighbors tried, they endeavored to make like a chicken wire fence. You know, it's about yo high, it's like this. Yeah, the dogs were that much taller than it. And and she's scared to death out there. And we were too, you could just be cutting your grass and those dogs are coming at you. So what did we have to do? We had to take matters into our own hands and we had to build a boundary or a privacy fence so that she felt safe in her own yard. And that's kind of what we're talking about today is how to build safe healthy boundaries, not to not include the neighbors, but in order for some protection. So in the sermon series, we've been talking about Abraham, the father of faith, and we've walked through his life a little bit, and we found out, first of all, that the story is filled with a lot of promises from God. God gave him a lot of promises, and then the second thing we found out is that he was called a friend of God, and he was also the father of our faith. So Abraham was a great man that changed literally the landscape of the world But we found out that his life, even though he interacted with God a lot, his life was less than perfect. And that being said, what we found out is how did he reshape the world, even though his life was less than perfect? And he did so by two things. And those uh, two actions that are really big are, number one, he had defining moments of, of clear obedience to God. There were defining moments in his life where he took steps of obedience to God. And the second one was he passed on his experience to the next generation. 
So one of the things, you know, we've talked about a lot of red flags with Abraham the past few weeks and some things that he failed at. But one of the things that he did really well was he provided boundaries for his extended family. So today we're going to learn about how Abraham did deal with his extended family. And, you know, no matter where you're at, you say, I don't have much family, I don't know. You deal with boundaries every single day of your life. So if extended doesn't ring a bell with you, I'm sure someplace does, workplace or those kind of things. So the first thing we want to say about Abram and his decisions today, and what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text and sort of paint a little bit of a story so you see his, his interaction with a guy named Lot. And the first thing we want to declare is that family is a choice. Now, I know that we live in a world that um, there's a lot of thought that uh, family is just, you know, father, mother, and children. But uh, come on, if you've been around a day or two, now you've got exes and you've got uh, ours, his, theirs. We've got adoptions. We've got foster kids. We've got people in the family. Maybe. So what we want to do is we want to show you from the passage of Scripture that family is a choice, not just a birth situation. So uh, that being said, Genesis 11, 27, uh, notice this, Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So Terah had three boys. Abraham was one of them. Nahor was the second, and Haran was the young, uh, youngest. And Haran became the father of Lot. So Lot is the nephew of Abram. And while, while his father Terah was still alive, so this is way back in the beginning of the story, Haran died while they were still, you remember Abram, the story starts with him being called out of the Ur of Chaldeas and he's to walk into the, the promised land and he's to go from here to here. Before that even happened, Haran died. So the boy Lot was probably still very, very young when this happened. So what did Lot, uh, what did Abram do when uh, this baby, this young man was needing a father? Well, what he did was in Genesis 12, 4, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran and he took his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot. So he took him and his family sort of as a, like an adopted boy and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had required in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So what happened was Abraham opened up his family to somebody who wasn't there by birth to include him in his family and to raise him as someone as his own. And family is anyone that you extend the invitation to. So if you're sitting here and you extend an invitation for that neighbor child or that neighbor to come with right. you, I find that, you know, I don't have a lot of family. I don't have a big extended family. I have actually found that the church family has stepped in when other blood yes. relatives aren't even close by in proximity. And I will tell you right now that the church family is awesome. And if you're sitting here today and you're feeling a little displaced, maybe you don't know where you belong. I'll tell you, you belong at Harvest Ridge. Right. You belong at Harvest Ridge. And at a certain, so we have this thing called Discover. And Discover is when you can just learn about Harvest Ridge, ask some questions. One of the things we talk about is that Harvest Ridge will become a place that it's not just the church I go to, but it's my church. Mm -hmm. That's when you know that you've crossed over into the Harvest Ridge family. And I want to encourage all of you today, get in a life group, get in a group, talk to people, don't just rush out the door. Right. Because the church family is going to be around when sometimes your, even your extended family is not close by. And by no fault of their own, maybe they live in different cities. But I will tell you, the church family has been awesome helping us raise our kids. So there's this verse in Psalms that I love. It says this, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. And that's what we really want to say is, um, maybe you're a person that you include a lonely into your family. Or maybe you're a person that you're here and you feel like you're alone. But I want to tell you, this, this place, these people the people around you can become a family to you, to include you. Because family is a choice, not just a birth. And that being said, we, we have a little video of a story of somebody in our church that went through a process to open up their family to someone outside of their family. We thought I'd show it to you. Jenny and I have been married for 17 years. Um, we, we met in 2003. We got married in 2004 um, and we, quickly had three kids. We chose to do that. We had Alyssa, Eva, and Brianna. Um, and then after about um, a couple years after Brie, we were uh, still planning on having kids and we were trying and didn't work out a couple times. 
So we made the decision that we still wanted to continue growing our family, so we decided to adopt. We were matched with, with Dayuni by August of 2018. Um, so then we have our little guy locked in there. So we had about another year of paperwork and waiting, and uh, we finally were able to travel and meet him in October of 2019. Yeah, 2019. So we made it there just before um, coronavirus started. So we, we made it in in October 2019. Um, amazing experience. We had him on the flight home, and I, we both um, looked at each other on the flight home and said, "We're going to do it again." So. Um it was also our 15 year anniversary we took custody of Dayun and I, I'm a firm believer that sometimes God shows up in dates and special significance. So <clears throat> on that day when it was 15 years for us, it was the beginning of a lifetime that we were choosing to love this little boy. Dayun was able to continue to feel his birth culture through this family that loved him first and we were able to let him know that it wasn't, um, it wasn't a fight for his love, that we were choosing to create one large family. The second adoption was very important. It wasn't just Jenny and I that were gonna be doing it this time. So, all everybody's coming. Obviously, we, we wanted Dayuni to reunite with his foster family, um, but all the girls needed to come and experience it as well, so. That was a huge leap of faith for us because that's that'd be six people needing to go to Korea. And seven and, back, yeah. And seven coming back. Two weeks before we were to leave for Korea, our um, third child, our youngest daughter, tested positive for COVID. <laughs> so there is no traveling for her. So it was absolutely amazing. We were completely worried that everything was going to get pushed back, but nobody else tested positive. And we, we couldn't... We couldn't change the court date. We couldn't put anything back or push anything back. We we had to go. We were believing that God was faithful, and I kept hearing through this whole adoption, God is faithful and He loves His children. That includes Dan and I. That includes our own children. That includes you know our son who wasn't in our family yet, but we were anxiously waiting to bring him to us. God is faithful and He loves His children. So it took a lot of trusting that that God is completely loving to leave our daughter behind. Maybe six days in, she tested negative. <laughs> so we had to complete the first two meetings, complete the court hearing, and then the very next day, Dan was on a flight. He made it back to bring mm -hmm. Brianna to us in Korea. Then we got to experience a lot of things in Korea. Um, we did go on a trip with the foster family. We went on a three-day vacation with them. I mean, literally treated us as if they, we were just part of, their, part of their family. We have so many memories. Finalization was actually more of a realization for our children of how hard love can be. And um, so Ungi, was, he's the happiest little boy. Like His entire face just projects a level of, of joy that to me is almost like unreal that God has given him this amazing amount of joy and in that moment it was so beautiful to see it because he he shared that joy with his foster mom on a day that was very difficult for her. So being able to adopt has has taught our, our family, our entire family, that family's a choice, loving's a choice, and in hard days it's a choice and you continue to make it over and over because Christ makes that choice for us. Even in the hardest moments, He loves us and that's what we choose to do. What a story, huh? A story of love and acceptance. We just wanna say thank you to all the foster mom and dads and all the people who have adopted. And if you've ex extended a hand of love to someone on your street, you're important, you're making a difference. Right. And if you are interested in adoption or fostering, we have people that can help you with that. You can talk to Dan and Jenny or you can call the church office and we can get you in connection. Because one thing we believe in is like Jenny, I mean, she nailed it on the head. She said, Christ accepts us right. where we're at. And you know what? We all need somebody 
to be a part of, right? So thank you guys for doing that. So the next thing we want to move from is not only family as a choice, but now we go to family requires boundaries. And all relationships require boundaries, right? Not just your family, your coworkers, right? I mean, I could go on and on about every person that you come in contact with is part of a relationship, and sometimes boundaries are needed. So we're going to walk through Abram's story a little bit. We're going to hear how he had to establish boundaries with Lot. Can we be honest about Lot? Lot did not make good decisions. Lot wound up with a life that is not what you would want. And Abram was uh, in the process of being drugged down with him, except for the boundaries that he drew, Abram would have been caught in the vortex of Lot's destroyed life. So we're going to look through the story of that. So why is a boundary necessary? Boundaries usually start because somebody's taking advantage, right? right? You don't usually enter into a relationship saying, you know what, we're going to put a boundary on this relationship right now. No, it's usually because one party is being taken advantage of. So, you know, in a perfect relationship, it's a give and take. You get married, somebody's always going to be given a little bit more at one time, another time a person. But if there's... Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But if there's always one person giving and one person taking, that is a definite sign for a red flag. Right. So, um, here's, let's just look at the story, all right? So, let's... Uh, Look at Genesis chapter 13. Um, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, because you see, Abram took him, Lot with him, little boy, and they went together, and this is several years later, so Lot was growing up a little bit and becoming a little older. Now Lot, who was moving along with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So Lot has all of his dad's stuff. So he's got some money. He's got flocks, herds, tents. But the land could not support them while they were staying together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. So quarreling, notice the tension that arose. There was a problem, and there was a tension. It arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. And the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, hey, Abram, acting like the adult, said, let's not have quarreling between you and me and between your herders and mine, for we're relatives not the whole land, is not the whole land before you, let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. And he said, you take your pick, Lot. Now notice how he's drawing a boundary. We're not going to fight with each other. We need to separate here, put some distance so that we can make it work. Now Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan of Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So this area was very fertile ground. It was uh, where a lot of crops grew and it was easy to feed your cattle and sheep and you didn't have to move around a lot because it was all right there. The other side was desert, arid, hilly, and it was tough. You had to move around. So Lot, what did Lot do? Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So Lot went, Abram said, here, let's make a choice. You go one way, I'll go the other. Lot took the best right off the top, no questions asked. The two men parted company, and Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, what he didn't think about was this. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot's whole decision was based on what looked better, what was better in his best interests, because they've got all these flocks. So he's presented with this decision, and he takes the selfish way. This looks better. This is going to be better for me. He totally doesn't take into consideration that Sodom and Gomorrah are filled with wickedness and evil. So by making the choice that he did for the reason that he made it, he almost sets himself up for getting involved with the culture. Abraham gave him the choice. He chose to go that direction. And when you make bad choices based right. on sometimes what it looks like, I think back in the Garden of Eden, how the fruit looked good, but there was a consequence. I think that's what Lot did. And sometimes we base decisions on wrong things for how nice something looks. So I think Lot in this case made a poor choice. So what Lot did there was Lot took an unfair advantage. And uh, I'll tell you a little story. This one I've heard several times as a pastor over the years. Uh, I've heard it several different ways, but it's always pretty much the same thing. Say a parent dies 
and the house is filled with all the pictures and maybe some dishes and some things like that. Maybe there's some money involved, whatever. And a parent dies and the kids get together and they say, hey, we'll get together after the funeral and we'll go through mom's house and we'll sort through who's taken what. And uh, invariably what'll happen is one of the siblings, when they all show up later, one of the siblings has already been through the house and picked everything they wanted out of the house, taken all the pictures, taken all the Right? Y'all ever heard this story or am I the only one that's ever heard it? So what happens is this. One of the siblings knows something's coming and they take unfair advantage. And that, that's the kind of person that you have a hard time trusting from that moment on. And that's what Lot did to Abram was he took unfair advantage of an opportunity that Lot was trying to be nice to him. And he didn't think about the consequences of the behavior. And because of that unfair treatment on the kindness of Abraham, Abraham had to go into stage two. Well, stage two comes around next and it's called rescuing. And here's what happened. Uh, Abraham had to let rescue Lot because Lot went and chose wrongly and lived among a community and a culture. He got immersed in the culture and he settled down among them and he put himself in a position that wasn't good. So oftentimes when you have a family member or when you have a coworker or someone in your life, it could be anyone who talks to you, it can become a codependent relationship. This is super, super common when one gives and one takes. Here's a good definition that we came up with, um, the best yeah, one we, we found. we actually a lot yeah. of time looking for a good definition of codependency. So a codependent person puts their own needs aside and becomes hyper-vigilant about meeting the needs of another person to the point that their life revolves around this person, creating a one-sided relationship that is destructive and dysfunctional for both parties. So, when we talk about codependency, there's a lot of talk about it. You really should check it out what it is before, you know, you make too many decisions. But what it really means is, is that I am codependent with you. You have a lot of bad behaviors. I put my life on hold to facilitate your bad behaviors. And we, we learn a lesson. Um, actually, we forgot this lesson. And the old lesson is this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So codependency draws a line by saying, I will not allow myself to be sucked into your vortex of self-destruction, your black hole of need. I've got to stay outside of your black hole of need. And, and that's really what we're talking about. And it's about. okay to go help someone. That is absolutely right. not what we're saying. So if you walk out these doors and you say, I can't help you change that flat tire, <clears throat> that's not what we're saying. We're actually saying is that it's the next stage when, you, when you're being taken advantage of that's the red flag. So the red flag of codependency <laughs> is when you always have to rescue them. So let's go back to the story. It's in Genesis chapter 14. So... Lot had moved into Sodom, and he's living now in town. And the four kings, um, there, were, there were four kings that got together, and they were rebelling against the king of Sodom. Now, king sounds, it'd be like the town mayor of a small little town of a couple hundred people. But these four kings out here, they got together, and they said, we're tired of what Sodom's doing, and they came and attacked them. And it says, the four kings seized all the good of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. So what happened, Sodom got overthrown by these four kings, and they lost all of their food and their goods, and it's been taken away. And they carried off Abram's nephew, Lot. So what was one of the things that they took with them when they invaded the town? They took Lot. Wow, this is amazing. The guy who had too many, too many uh, sheep and shepherd and cattle and all that to even hang out with Abraham now can get captured by a couple of hundred guys. Now Abram's left nephew Lot in his possession since he was living in Sodom. And then what happened? Lot had settled into this corrupt culture without thinking about it. And it said in verse 14, when Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household. So Abraham's household continues to be strong, 318 born, men born in his household, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. So what happened here is Abraham heard that his nephew Lot 
the one who chose wrongly, now got himself in trouble because of his choice. And now he's been taken captive. And Abraham puts his own personal wealth, health, welfare at risk and his own household at risk to go rescue the guy that made the wrong choice in the first place. And he goes and rescues them. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobath, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. But I want you to see here, and this is the key thing you've got to start to see, is when Abraham started having to rescue Lot, he, stood, he put up a different boundary. This is a stronger boundary. And we're going to see it in Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After Abraham returned from defeating Kederlamer, yeah, say that 15 times fast. Why didn't anybody name their kids Kederlammer anymore? <laughs> Kederlammer and the kings allied with him. The king of Solomon came out, uh, king, of, king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Chavez. So Abram's coming back, bringing all these goods back with him. And Sodom, the king of Sodom comes out in the king's valley and he meets him. And there was another king that showed up that day, and this is Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And Melchizedek, if you don't know, let me just give you a little insight. Read the book of Hebrews sometime. Melchizedek is a representative, a representative of Jesus, the, the priest whose uh, priesthood has no beginning or end, the priest who is the priest of Salem, the king of Salem, or the king of peace. He is the prince of peace. And there's a, this, there's a real reference here in this Old Testament story to what would be fulfilled in Jesus later on. And we see, what did he do? Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And what is bread and wine in reference to? It's in reference to the communion elements and later the uh, elements of, uh, of Passover. And so there are references here through this Melchizedek that Jesus is once again involved in the story uh, somehow. We don't understand how, but there are representatives here that are fulfilled in Jesus later on, and you should read the book of Hebrews to find it out. So, he brought out breath, bread and wine, and what happened is he blessed Abraham, this Melchizedek did, and he said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, the creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Abraham did something then. He drew a boundary, and his boundary was he was going to worship God and in figurative way to worship Jesus by giving a tenth in this moment. So he had been successful in war, and he gave a tithe to this king who represents Jesus. Interesting. It's a boundary. God, you give me victory. God, I return to you a worship offering. So then what happens is... Uh, the king of Sodom now comes after the king of Melchizedek, Melchizedek the king of Salem, which was probably Jerusalem. But anyway, uh, sorry, I, I start geeking out on this passage, and I want to tell you so much about it, but I'm trying to keep it in line. Then the king of Sodom comes out, and Abraham draws another boundary right here. This one's strong. The king of Sodom said, give me the people. You keep all the goods for yourself. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. Abraham said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to God, the Lord, God most high, the creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept not a thing belonging to you, you evil king, you evil land. He said, not even a thread of the strap of your sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. What he was doing here, remember, Lot had gotten enmeshed and immersed in the culture of Sodom and had become sort of overtaken by it. But Abraham said, no, when it comes to God, my boundary is clear. I will worship and I will give to him, but I won't take anything from you people who are evil and against God. He drew a very strong boundary against Lot's culture and situation. And the next thing that Abraham did in the story was he provided distance. So the stage three of his boundaries against Lot is he drew distance between he and Lot. So in Genesis 18, 17, it says, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Yeah, the, now remember, say, this is sometime yeah, later. This is later in the story. Right. Uh, Lot is now, he lives in the city okay? And what happened was the city was just getting worse and more evil and more evil, more corruption. Abraham was in another area. And so what ended up happening as the years have gone by, uh, God says, I'm done with 
Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm wiping them from the face of the earth. They're done. They're so evil. They're so vile. I can't deal with it anymore. So this is where the story picks up, Genesis 18, 20 through 24. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? So what's happening now, and the story goes on, that Abraham begins jostling with God about what about 40? What about 30? What, because who's living there? His nephew Lot. Right. He's made the decision. He's not going back in. However, what he's doing right now is, I would call it negotiating. How about wrestling in prayer for his son, for his nephew Lot? He's literally communicating with God back and forth for the saving of Lot and his family is this story that's happening. So he's not going to get involved with rescuing again. Do you see that? He says, I've rescued you. You didn't learn. You went right back to the filth. I'm now going to distance myself from it, but I'm going to talk to God about it. And he is pleading with God basically to save Lot and to save his life. And uh, he will not physically rescue Lot again, but he still cares. And his care has led him to say, no, there's distance between us and this distance I'm going to talk to God. It reminds me of sort of like the, the prodigal son. You remember the story of the prodigal son? There's the, the dad who says, no, son, you, do, you can't do that in my household. And the son goes off and acts crazy. And the dad doesn't go get him, but he's always looking and always caring. And that's how God treats us, and that's how we should treat people, even who have wounded us, is we should love them from a distance and pray for them. If they're going to drag us into their black hole of need, we need to put some distance. And remember, the reason for boundaries is sometimes there's no change unless there's pain. Right. So sometimes people have to feel the pain of their decisions before they're open to change. We talked about it last week with kids when they're little. We said there's consequences, both good and bad, for your actions. This is what's going on right here. And, and remember, there are consequences, both good and bad. So this past week I was talking to somebody and I used a phrase I thought was really good. So I, I wrote it down word for word and it was this. It says, when you reach rock bottom, that's where you find the rock. See, if you continue to rescue people who are still swimming in their filth, they'll never reach rock bottom. And when you reach rock bottom, when you let somebody feel the consequences of their pain enough that they reach rock bottom, doesn't the Bible say you can build your house upon the rock because Jesus is the rock? And, and a lot of us, what we, do, what we do is we shield people from the consequences of their bad behavior by our interacting and, and loving them and protecting them when we need to let them go, fill their bad behavior, so they will reach rock bottom and they will know that Jesus is the rock they can depend on. And this is difficult to do. So we're going to give you a couple practical things because this is not easy to do. But in the course of this story, we go on and Sodom and Gomorrah, they're done. They're gone. God wipes them off the face of the earth. And in Genesis 19, 29, it says, So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out to the uh, to the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So what happened was... God brought Lot out. But who does it say he remembered? Abraham. Right. So I want to encourage you. You've been praying for a neighbor. You've been praying for a family member, a relative for a really long time. Your prayers are not going unheard. God is right there with you. And Lot was rescued because Abraham's prayers for him and intercession. So I just need to sort of wrap up the whole Lot story here. Um, Lot lost a lot in the process. He was spared from the destruction of Sodom, but this is the last time we hear of Lot. Lot had gone from a guy who had fields and lands and herds to a guy that walks out being held by the hand by an angel. What do you carry in your hands when somebody's holding your hands? Nothing. He was destitute. He lost his relationship with Abraham. He lost his relationship with his wife. 
She turned into a pillar of salt, right? He lost his, and you don't even want to know what happened to his relationship with his daughters. The whole family, everything in his world is destroyed. So observation from this story is that Lot's failure to pursue the right things and establish for himself boundaries against the evil of the world led to his total destruction. But Abraham's boundaries enabled him to continue to move on successfully. So, practical information about boundaries. Now, remember, you need boundaries in every relationship. This is where you might want to grab one of those need-to-know sheets and pull this out, because I guarantee you in this room, almost all of you have something right now that you're going, yes, yes, that's it. I need to get rid of them, okay? <laughs> so, that's not what we're talking about. We'll so, talk about we're going to talk second. about that in a second. However, one of the things we talked about last week was the phone and how it affects our brain. So, how do you have... How do you have boundaries on somebody that's it's not in a real relationship? Because you need boundaries in everything, including technology. Food, technology, TV, whatever. Let's talk technology. I was listening to a podcast this week, and I thought it was good enough to regurgitate to you. They said that our, um, our, our maturity level with technology is about equal to the number of years we've had it. So think about it. Most of us had technology for 10, 15 years, something like that. That phone you hold in your hand. And what's happened is, is that we haven't, we're sort of adolescent in our behaviors with technology. And we need to grow up a little bit with our technology. And uh, what they were saying is they're seeing a, a helpful trend that the next generation, after having dealt with technology for a bit, are laying their phone down while they have a meal, and, and they will actually turn it off, or, or they'll set it down, and they'll answer later, and actually be with the person they're with in their household, rather than being in cyberspace while you're trying to be in a relationship with somebody close to you. And what we want to encourage you with is to draw some boundaries in your life towards things like technology, or food, or your TV, or sports, or your love novels and your Harlequin romances and... Emotionally healthy people sometimes have to draw boundaries on the very things that they love the most. Yes. So this was the line that we debated. Who got to say this? Because this is my favorite line of the whole sermon. You ready? Boundaries are really good. But when it comes to people, unfortunately, I think we've gotten too good at them. So what happens is, is that, you know, yes, we need boundaries. Yes, we need um, healthy boundaries. But I will tell you, in right now where we're at, 2022, it is so easy to make a boundary, meaning this is how we think a boundary should go. I don't like your opinion. I'm just done with you. Right. I, you know what? You don't agree with me. I don't really want to speak to you again if you're not on. I will tell you that's exactly opposite of what the Bible says, because the Bible says as iron sharpens iron, we're to help each other. If you have everyone in your life that has your same opinion on everything and that has your worldview and everything, then why, is, why are one of you necessary? Right? We don't need both of you, okay? You have to have people who have contrary opinions in order to get your thoughts straight and in order to be able to present something uh, different. Remember, boundaries are an attempt to continue a relationship, not cancel a relationship. I believe we're going to have that one on the screen, so here you go. Boundaries are an attempt to continue a relationship, not cancel a relationship. The reason you have boundaries is to create a healthy environment, not to say, you've gone against my boundary. I don't agree with what you said. I'm going to delete you. We are in a cancel culture, and a cancel culture deletes people from your world. Biblical healthy boundaries is an attempt to include people, not exclude them. And people are worth the attempt to keep a relationship if you can do so in a healthy way. Okay, so I have this big rubber band. This is your boundary, okay? Boundaries are meant to stretch you a little bit. If you're the one who's coming up with the boundary, you are going to feel like, ugh, because it's hard to make a boundary. You have to communicate properly to make a boundary, but you're going to feel a little, a little stretched, and that's okay, because by stretching it, I make this rubber band useful. If I don't stretch this rubber band and I just live, let it sit here for the next two years, it dry rots. It's good for nothing. But I will tell you, this rubber band, if I pull and I pull and I stretch, it's going to pop. 
Many of you don't set a boundary until that popping happens. And I'm gonna say, go 10 steps ahead of that and provide a healthy boundary so that you can keep your relationships intact inside the boundary. Don't get to the point that you're popping and then you're canceling somebody simply because of a disagreement. So the only people who are upset with your healthy, keyword healthy, the only people that are upset with your healthy boundaries are people who are trying to encroach upon your boundaries and your health. Set a healthy boundary, be flexible in it, move with them. Remember, a boundary is to keep relationship, not to cancel relationship. So what you want to do is set healthy boundaries, move as you need to, but stay in relationship with them. Stop talking to people is not a boundary. <laughs> okay, that is not a healthy boundary. That's right. unhealthy for you and for them. Stopping unhealthy talking is a boundary. Yes. So how does this look? So um, boundaries are all about communication. And I don't know about you guys, but that is really difficult. I'm not super confrontational just in general. So it's really hard for me. I'd be more the popper. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. So how do you do this? You have to intentionally communicate what you need and what your boundary is. And remember, if you don't intentionally communicate your boundary, they're going to pick up a feeling. Right. And that feeling is interpreted in their head. Might not be correct. It might not be correct. Actually, it could be completely the opposite way of you feeling. But because you haven't communicated it properly, then they're left with no choice but to interpret your words or your lack of words. So what happens is if I'm the one putting a boundary up, I need to give alternate choices. I need to give something so that it's just like, I'm done. That's not a boundary. I will get to that in just a minute. That's a boundary. So if you don't share the boundary clearly, it comes across as either distance, uncaring, or hostility. So a perfect example. Um, People say to me all the time, hey, I'd love to get together and talk. I love that. That's what I love. That, I live for that. I'm a pastor. I want to love you. I want to help you through your situation. I'd love to eat a meal with you. I'd love to do that. But I'm going to respond the same way to you every single time. I'm going to respond, hey, you want to get together? Shoot me an email. Here's why. And I will say to them, I, if you shoot me a text, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to answer, but I'm not going to remember to make a schedule. But if you shoot me an email, I'll open the email while I'm at my computer, my calendar will be open, and I can actually schedule a day. If you shoot me a text, I'll never get the day on the calendar. But if you shoot me an email, I will be able to schedule it around my schedule. Right? Right? That's a boundary. But if I, if I don't explain a little bit of that, I say, yeah, you want to get together, just shoot me an email. What does that say to you? He really doesn't want to get together. Are y'all following me? But if you'll take the extra 30 seconds, say, I really want to do this, but I do my scheduling at my computer and that way I can open up the email. What you're doing then is you're saying, I care about you, but this is the boundary I work within because I want to have relationship with you. And boundaries are made to facilitate relationship, not exclude it. So that's a work illustration. What about home illustration? Young moms, you face this all the time. Big sleepover going on, neighborhood. Oh, mom, can I go to Johnny's house for the sleepover? Well, let me talk to Johnny's mom. Here's the thing. Everybody in the street's doing it. If I respond to Johnny's mom, no, no, not this weekend, okay? Her takeaway could very easily be, they don't like us. I don't know what the problem is here. How come, is their, too, is their kid too good to come over to our house? You don't know what her takeaway is. But if I was to explain, you know, we have a big day the next day. I'd be happy to let them come over till about 10 and then I'm going to pick them up. Communication of details is very important when you're establishing a boundary because it really crushes any unrealistic expectation. Well, the honest goodness truth is I don't want them staying over at Johnny's house where they watch porn all night with their other buddies. Right? I'm not going to let my kid go off to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Lot Abraham here. But you know what we're trying to do? We're trying to keep a relationship with that mom and that family. And by doing so, we draw boundaries. Yes, we do have a big day the next day, but we could probably, but we chose to draw a boundary that communicates our desire for relationship rather than our desire to cancel them. 
Are y'all following me? Mm-hmm. All right, so. And never use boundaries as an excuse for your own laziness to manipulate or to hurt feelings. I hear that a lot. Never, never, never. Also, when somebody's encroaching on your boundary and you're getting really, really ticked at them, just remember, are you frustrated with them or are you frustrated with yourself for not setting and maintaining a healthy boundary? It's not their fault if you haven't communicated it properly. They're just being themselves. They have no idea. Remember, if you want that relationship, you have to communicate better than you think because what's inside my brain doesn't necessarily always come out of my mouth, okay? They can't read my mind, communicate in such a way that it keeps a relationship. And you know, that's what God did with us, right? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, right? So he went out of his way. But God also set a boundary. He said, you're not going to get into my heaven and you're not going to live in my blessing if you're living a life filled with sin, right? Mm -hmm. So what did God do? God created, he stretched himself, he became man and he died for us so that he could cover our sin problem. God created a boundary saying, I don't want you to destroy yourself. You're in a vortex of sin that is destroying yourself, and I want to have a relationship with you, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a way for you to come into my health and abandon your vortex of destruction. Are you following that? That's called salvation. What did you have to do? If you're going to receive God's salvation, you have to do something, right? You have to believe that Jesus Christ came and was resurrected from the dead, and you have to confess him as Lord, the boss of you. He's for real, and you confess him as Lord. And in doing so, what God has done is he has created a space and a way for you to live in a healthy relationship with him. Are y'all following me? So what I want to do is I want to say that God wants a relationship so much with you that he created a way for you to enter into that relationship. And at some point, you need to quit being like Lot, quit hanging out in your Sodom destruction world and say, I will step inside the boundary of God's love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his blessing, his goodness, his plan for my life. You step out of your garbage and into his blessing. And that's what I want to invite you to right now. So I'd like everybody, if you would, to bow your heads with me. I want to ask a question of you this morning. And the question is this, if you're in this space today, or you're even watching online, and you have not made that profession of faith as Jesus is Lord, I want to invite you to do it right now. I want you to declare in your heart, God, I believe in you. Be my Lord. Be my Lord. I confess you as my Lord. You're the boss of me now. Be my Lord. And in doing so, if you took that step of faith, I believe Jesus wants to receive you into his loving protection. If you did that online, text believe to that number on the screen. If you're in this space right now and you've done that, I want to invite you to, I want to pray with you and I want us to do this together. So I'm inviting you into the family acceptance here, all right? I've done it. Pastor Robin's done it. The people up here on the platform have done it. It's your turn. If you want to confess Jesus as your Lord this morning, lift your hand real high. I want to pray with you right now. If you want to, yes, yes, yes. Are there others? Yes, yes. Around this room, hands are up. Yes, God sees your hand. All over this room, hands have gone up. God receives you. You are his child now. Everybody, could we pray together? Everybody out loud so nobody prays alone. Let's do this together. All right, everybody together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. That God raised you from the dead. And that you have all power. I believe in you. I confess you as Lord. Take my goofed up life and give me your life. I love you. I honor you. Be my Lord. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, guess what happened? Jesus just stepped into your mess and he rescued you. Now, you're going to have to stay rescued. That's the first talk you're going to have with Jesus. You're going to have to have a whole bunch more before you're all done. 
There's going to be thousands of conversations. That's your first one. That's good. Hey, talk to somebody. Pastor Jesse, Pastor, uh, Pastor Matt are around. I'm around today. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, talk to one of us. Let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to talk to you about that. Hey, one other thing. This is how we're going to end today. As we were talking about boundaries, there are some people in this room that God was dealing with your heart about some boundaries that you need to have that sort of goofed up. And he was talking to you. And before you walk out of the door today, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God, to sort of straighten out what he's dealing with your heart about. So if God was dealing with your heart about something, we're going to invite you in just a second to come to this altar. To come up here. Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to stand. I don't care. You want to sit on the front row. I don't care what you want to do. But if you, God was dealing with you and you need to talk to him and sort of work through something, sort of seal the deal. Okay, God, I'm coming forward as an act of saying, I heard you nudge something. I want to listen. I'm going to give you an opportunity as soon as the band starts singing for you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to pray with you here at the altar. I'll dismiss in a couple of moments. But if that's you and God is dealing with you about a boundary in your life and a situation in your life, you want somebody to pray with you, maybe you need to just come seal the deal. Come on right now. The verses before. But you, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. There's something to be said for the Pentecostal experience. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Those are all boundaries. Love, reach out, but keep yourself at a distance from the craziness. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.